Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day on this beautiful day. Hasn't God given us a beautiful world? Yes. Amen. Amen. There's so much to see and, and feel uh, and smell around us. You know, we had the uh, kind of the blessing of being able to go and get a little head start on spring. We went south to visit our brothers down in South Carolina. So what do you think's happening down there? Flowers are blooming and trees are blooming. And so... As we, were, as we were heading back north, we were seeing that it would go increasingly less like that. And as we got closer, of course, we just saw bare trees. But spring is a coming, amen? amen? Question is, is do you take time to drink in all that God has given us to look at? If you do, you can hear God speaking to you through it. Amen? The one who has called us to worship speaks of himself or creation, praises him in all that we do and say. David did. He noticed this. He was a lover of nature. If you read uh, the many psalms that David wrote, he is oftentimes referencing the beauty of creation. We often quote the psalm, Psalm 19, that declares this very thing. And if you know it, you can quote it with us today. It's our call to worship. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, and from the circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful, Lord, that you love us, Lord, and that you have given us the beauty of creation to glorify you, Lord, that if we can just stop from our busyness a little bit in our lives and we can take a moment, Lord, we can hear creation singing and talking of you and we can breathe in and we can appreciate and be thankful for all that you have given us, Lord. Today, we are giving thanks because you have given us new life, that you have pardoned our sins and that you have forgiven us. Lord, that you don't just leave us here, but that you come to us and you never leave us. 
You speak to us and you change us and day by day we are made more like you. Do that again today as we gather together in your presence. Draw us closer to you, higher up and deeper in, Lord, that we may indeed know your glory. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. standing just a little bit longer as I read to you my text from Psalm 8. I know my text was Psalm 8 last week. It's going to be my text this week, and it's going to be my text next week. So we're going to spend three weeks in Psalm 8. My message today, I entitled Creation and Dominion, honestly thinking I would get through both subjects today, but I'm not going to make it all the way through that. We're going to be mostly talking about creation. Psalm 8, starting in verse 3, says this. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou visitest him, and the son of man that thou art mindful of him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have given us your word. We pray today that you would speak to us through it, that it would help to um, bolster us, that it would help to even us out to moderate us into living a life that brings glory to you, Lord, and fights against the extremes that we are so prone to in our lives. Help us, Lord God, to follow that straight path, Lord, to walk in the narrow way together as we seek to follow you and only you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 8 is a psalm of praise on a harp, an exclamation of the greatness and the excellency of God. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. If we remember, David shouts this in Psalm 107, and David is, of course, doing this in Psalm 8. Oh, Lord, our Lord. How excellent is thy name in all the earth, who have set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. And David is singing this praise. We remembered as we got together last week that this song about praise reminded us to look into the word of God about what praise is. And so we looked at the eight Hebrew words for praise and we saw in those words that Praise is something we do with our bodies. Everybody say, praise is something I do with my body. We love to worship God and we love to, that we believe in Him with our heart. We love the fact that we give our minds solely to His reason and His logic as we plan and as we think. But we also want to be a people who love God with our bodies. Amen? We worship God by raising our hands, by playing music, by singing, by thanking, even shouting and boasting about God's greatness, even in the Hebrew, to the point of being ridiculous. Sometimes we do these things with our mouths and our bodies in faith when we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, when our answer has not yet come, and yet again we see the greatness of his plan unfolding before our eyes. Praise is not something we do just when God has done something good, but because we know that he will. Amen? It is an acknowledgement of his sovereignty and his love. He is the God of heaven, but not only that, he is the Lord over all the earth, our Adonai. Lord over every work and every part of our life. We learn that he is Lord, Yahweh, he is God, but he is the Lord, Adonai, in that he is sovereign over what we do with our bodies in our life 
The scripture tells us that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your, in your bodies. God wants us to worship him. I remember a few years back before we used to kneel, Tim was saying, Pastor Mark, I would love it if we could kneel in our church. And I remember when he asked me that question, I thought to myself, is Tim just, you know, getting sucked into the religiosity that sometimes Tim can get sucked into? That's one of his, his uh, things that he gets. If you don't know Tim, I do. <laughs> but when Tim answered and he said, you know, he, he mentioned, he, maybe you don't even have any idea that you affected this. But you mentioned that, you know, it's worshiping God with your body. And I thought about, I've been thinking about that for years. I really have been. And so, of course, we did start kneeling. And as we started kneeling, I started to understand that our body needs to worship God. It's something, there are a lot of things to focus on in the kingdom of God. But there is something about kneeling. There's something about raising our hands. There's something about calling to the Lord or crying out to God that does something that's desperately needed to be done. Amen? God has made praise instinctive, even for a nursing baby. The tongues of babies know how to draw milk from their mothers and send forth praise from their mouths from the moments they are born. That's what the psalmist tells us. God does this to remind us that he uses the weak things of the world to compound the wisdom of the wise, that even from the praise of infants, the powers of heaven come down to earth to defeat our enemies. We don't need to be great. God is. That ought to be a central thing in our life. It ought to be a central point that we make in our church every week as we gather together. We don't need to be great. He is. You got it? That's what David is singing about. And sometimes I think that in our efforts to be great, that we forget about our great God. In our efforts to be great, sometimes we get the illusion that we are great. And, and God is kind enough to help us with that. Is he not, Andy? You feel strong and able. And look what I can do. And, you know, and then your back goes out. You know? And then you're like, I can't do anything. I mean, I don't know if I can even survive. I don't know what's happening. That's what happens to me. I get to feeling good. And I get excited. And I'm going to conquer the world. And I'm going to do all these things. And what happens is we begin oftentimes to swell. You know, like, look what we can do. And God goes, and then you're walking around like this. And I'm trying to go to the Air Force Museum, and I'm sitting in a wheelchair. They had to wheel me around the Air Force Museum a um, week or so ago. I couldn't walk at all. And I'm like, got it. Can I please have my backpack? I, I, I'll be good, uh, you know. But the Lord wanted me to think about this for several days. So I did. I got to thinking about it. So I don't know, I don't know what he does for you to help you, but he really helps me by doing this for me, okay? So today as we continue through Psalm 8 and we look at what David is praising God for, we'll look at creation and dominion. Now, if you remember, David started praising the Lord in Psalm 8 about nothing except that he's God, right? But he moves on from just praising him because he is and because he's God and because he is the Lord over all things. He began to praise him about something very specific and in a very specific way. Everybody say creation and dominion. That's what David's talking about here. He mentions the creation. He walks through and talks about it. But what's amazing to him is the idea of dominion. Now, creation and dominion, simply put, is all God made and who and what he made it for. That's what it is. Creation is all that God made. The creator made creation. And dominion is why he made it, who he made it for, and what the purpose of that is all about. So that's a pretty big subject, right? So I don't think we can cover all that in just a little bit here. And I would say in the next 30 minutes, you know, but I've been watching my sermons and they're not, they're not 30 minutes. And I know some of you know this already. So, uh, so I, I, as a result of that, I did break this up into another one because I, I'm really, really not wanting to go for an hour and then two hours and three hours. That, that will not be the measure of how great your pastor is. Uh, in fact, probably that might be the measure of that I need to retire. Okay. So I'm only 50. And I don't want to retire quite yet. So when we get to Psalm 8, to the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. 
Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. What we see next is that David is praising God for all of creation and for man's place in it. God made it as we, we read for a specific reason as we read in Genesis 1. He starts off in verse 3. He says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. You know, as I read that, I begin to think so many people and sometimes I don't really even stop to consider it at all. I don't really think about things like my little kids do. You know, Valiant the other day was we, we were together and, and Val was like, Dad, what kind of cloud is that? And the one that are like this, the one that have lines. And he's looking at the clouds. Sometimes when we get big, when we get grown up, we don't really take the time to look at those things. We don't take time to wonder at the stars or wonder at the sun itself or to think about what it is or but it doesn't really take a lot of imagination to understand David's wonder at the heavens above him in a way that really would be quite different from us. It's really not part of our everyday life as much as it was his because of the invention of electricity and the light bulb. Our experience with the dark night sky is greatly diminished by these very helpful things. And it was not so, though, in David's day. And for most of 6,000 years of Earth's history, it's quite a modern thing. And I know I've mentioned it before, but you have to sort of experience it to know why I mention it. But there's nothing like being on top of a mountain in Myanmar and looking at the stars. It's one of the most incredible uh, natural experiences that a person can have. To have no ambient light between you and the heavens and to see a sea of the Milky Way and the heavenly bodies and the planets. It's amazing. When we go camping or we sit outside around a bonfire, we catch little glimpses of what David saw. But David saw every night what we really never really get to see. Later on, uh, as we move, uh, we will get to the next psalm, Psalm 19, down the road quite a bit, where we'll read David's famous words that we used here in our call to worship. Everybody say, the heavens declare the glory of God. As you read Psalm 19, you will see that the message that is being taught, the song that is being sung, is that when people look at God's creation, that creation, the very sight of it, the very experience of it, the very connection with it, is a message from God. So it kind of makes me think we ought to pay a little bit of attention to a tree. How many have ever just looked at a tree? You ever do this? When I was a little kid, I had a lot of this, and I really think that it was part of my wonder of God. I used to love to go down to a creek and pick up a rock, and I think I actually wrote something about this, but I, some, I, I like writing things down, but I like talking to you too, because I, you know, what I write comes out of my head and my heart. But I used to love to go down to a creek, Steve, and pull back a rock. You, you kids ever do this, any of you? Have you ever pull it back real slow to where, where no mud comes up and you do it super slow and you see a crawdad down there? You guys ever, has this ever happened to you? Man, that's an amazing thing. You know, and you catch a crawdad, you know, and I know they can get you, they can pinch you, but they can't do too much to you. And, and you hold them up and you look at them and you look at all those things. You look at its tail and you look at its pinchers and and sometimes there would be a, a clutch of eggs right underneath the tail of the crawdad and I, I just remember looking at all that stuff and going wow you know I remember laying in the, the deep grass and kind of waiting until my eyes would adjust and seeing you know a ladybug crawling up a blade of grass or ants working busily to try to do something and I remember that when I was a kid and I used to look at those things that all, what my mind always went to, Luke, every single time was, Lord, you must be so big, so amazing. Lord, Lord, you're keeping track of what's going on here as well as with me. And there are worlds and worlds under every rock and, and worlds and worlds in the, we have these lakes and, and we would get in the water and the little, little fish would come up and we would sit real still, Christina, like this. This was like a thing, well, I say we, I mostly was by myself. And, and I would go down there and I'd let my arms float like this and the little fish would come up and they would like nibble on me, you know, and I'd be like, oh, this is so neat, you know. And I, and I would find like an old pair of goggles somewhere and I would, I would keep my head up 
just, just where my eyes were down there and, and the little fish would go. And you go, what, what are you talking about? Folks, uh, there is nothing like looking at a fish under the water and seeing it interact with you and you see how big you are and how little they are. And that's what God speaks to us through. He speaks to us through nature. It's really how you look at the world around you. Do you take time to wonder? Do you even look? Many of us are so busy doing whatever it is that we do that we rarely take time even to look. And if you haven't done it for a while, spring is coming. It might be a real good time to just sit with your kids or yourself, lay in your yard. The neighbors might call 911 and think you've had a heart attack. And when they come, just go, no, just, I'm just laying in my yard. Lay back and look at the clouds. Take time to look at the stars. Get away from the city lights and stop long enough to try to see what David wondered at. Go outside and look in the grass. Watch the woods wake up. Any hunter, and I'm telling you, Paul Chapman, you hunt, right? And Heath, you hunt. There's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like going out at dark and getting set in a place. A lot of you Goldsmith kids go with your dad, right? And you, some of the Chapmans used to do this too. And it is amazing to watch it go from dark to twilight to light. And next thing you know, a squirrel's moving. And next thing you know, a deer is walking out. And then, well, of course, then you guys kill it. You know. We're so thankful for the life that's out there. <laughs> you know. Don't worry, I kill them too. I've killed them too. But, but what I'm saying is, is my favorite part about doing it, and, and, and in fact, one of the last times someone invited me hunting, I didn't tell them, but I never, even, I never even got my gut out. I'm like, you know, you don't really hunt with people like next to you. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't care if I kill anything. I just want to watch it. I want to watch it happen. There are worlds around every corner. Stop and look at your dog. Put some seed out near a window or hummingbird food in a feeder. You might go, oh, come on, Mark. Pastor Mark is talking about this from the pulpit. Yeah, I am. It's God's world he made for who? Who did he make it for? He made it for us. And we walk right by it. We don't even stop. We're so busy getting to the next thing and doing the next thing. I really think that our lives would be a whole lot better if we took time to smell the roses, right? Look at it with praise and wonder. God made it for you. What kind of God makes golden finches and bluebirds? My wife might not know it, but the bluebirds in our downstairs bathroom in a picture on the wall made by, was it by Audubon? Whoever made that painting, I don't know what it was, but I love it. I love that thing. Sometimes I just, they're like, what is he doing in there? I'm looking at the, the bird in this picture. Like, I want to take it off the wall and just look at it. Who? What kind of a God does that? He could have made them all blackbirds or he could have made them all, you know, albino birds. And he could have done a lot of things, but he doesn't do that. Because we serve a beautiful God. A God who makes things lovely. He isn't just wanting not for there to be, you know, smash roadkill on the side of the road. But what he wants is he wants to show us something about himself through creation. And what he's showing us is that he's beautiful. Those who take time to smell the roses and taste the clover blooms. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever taken the, a clover and pulled the end of it off and tasted the sugar on the other end to feel the warmth of the sun on your skin. I remember when I was a kid, and I always think, why do I always just have these memories as a kid? I remember of, of laying and feeling the sun on my skin, and I would imagine, Andy, that I was a crocodile. You, because that's what crocodiles do, you know. They're cold-blooded, and, and they get out in the, in, on the edge of the Nile, and, and the sun just, you know, bakes into them, and they warm up. They're cold-blooded. Those who can do that often hear the melodies of praise of creation and the speech of heaven that calls us to the goodness and the greatness of our God. Calling all around us, creation speaks of our Creator. So we should be listening. This is our Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the morning light, the lily white, He speaks to me everywhere. Don't you love that song? Don't you kind of wish it wasn't just a song we sang, but it was something we did? This is my Father's world into my listening ears. All nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise. 
the morning light, the lily white. What do they do? They declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas. His hands, the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. We say we want God to speak to us. How many you say, I know a lot of the young people in our house, they've reached this time where they're wanting God to lead them and they're wanting God to talk to them. And you know, God talking to us is not all about function. It's not all about he's going to tell us exactly what our calling is. Imagine if that's all your parents ever did is just told you what the next thing it is you were going to do. But God is a personal God. And He wants us to know Him. He wants us to see Him and to love Him. That's what a relationship with God is about. Not just giving us our next job. He's not just our boss. He's not just our Lord. But He's our, our Father and our friend. You may not know God like this. God may not be a friend to you because you've never taken time to, to listen to the voice of friendship that he offers to you. God is not just there to keep us straight and get us in heaven and straighten us up and cleanse us up and sanctify us. All that's great stuff. But, the, but what did God call Abraham? He called him his what? He called him his friend. I know you guys know what friendship is about. You like to text like crazy people. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting signaled and crude and messaged and Facebooked and texted and, and I'm a part of group chats and texts and wow, people like to talk to each other. They're sending emojis and hearts and likes and now they like your comments. If I tell someone, hey, I need you to do something, they like it. Bling. I'm like, you liked it? Harrison Murphy liked the fact that I told him that he needed to straighten up, you know. <laughs> you know. This has happened to me. I even asked my kids, how do you do that? They're like, they're like, only kids do this, Dad. You don't want to be a part of this. I'm like, I do. I want to know how to do it. St. Francis wrote, all creatures of our God and King. And he was kooky. St. Francis was a nut. But Paul said he was one too. And he said, and if I'm a nut, I'm a nut because I love my Lord. It wouldn't hurt some of us for some of us to be nature lovers. If you guys, if you have Facebook, which I'm not selling it today. Last week I was actually selling Facebook a little bit, but this week I'm not. Some of you probably need to be on it less. But I've got a friend I met out in California named Neil Bringy. And if you want a little bit of uh, happiness in your life, Neil Bringy loves his wife, he loves his children, he loves his church, he loves his God. And you know what he does? He's a scientist who it has done something, like he affects your life, you don't know, but he's fixed some things in food that have affected your life. But he's one of our guys. He's one of our people that believe like us and love like us and have this beauty. I've stayed in his home. And you know what Neil does? Neil gets up and he takes his camera out and he takes pictures of things in his yard and in his garden and he goes out and to the woods and he takes pictures of things and he posts it on Facebook. If you want to waste your time on Facebook, do that. You'll be like, look at that asparagus that Neil grew. It's amazing. And he'll tell you all about what God did when he made the asparagus. He'll do it, you know. That's why I love Neil. Oh, I'd like to market Neil, but you know what? I think I just want to enjoy Neil. How about that? Paul taught the Romans the same truth and more as he began his epistle to them, helping them to understand the great salvation brought to them in the whole world through Christ. In chapter 1, he explained how God speaks to all men, elect or not. But it is only the elect who respond in repentance. Those who do not know God who hear the wonderful words that God speaks through creation, instead of drawing them closer to God, it actually drives them deeper in sin. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you know God speaks to heathens? And God speaks to them through preaching. God speaks to them through creation. But when they hear God's voice, does it draw them nearer to Him? No. It drives them actually to despair. And you go, why? That's the power of the gospel. You see, the truth of the gospel is, is that although men could know what to do, although men could even see it, and even if they were reasonable, they could understand it, but they won't. 
How many meet people and you wonder, you're like, what is wrong with these people? It's pretty plain. It's plain as the nose on their face. We, I just explained it to them. And they're like, they don't get it. Come on. Have you ever talked to people like this? They're, you're like, don't you understand what I'm talking about? And they're, and they're looking at you like, you're weird. You're crazy. You're like Anybody can understand what I'm trying to say here. There was a guy, the governor, uh, I believe, of Virginia. And if, I have, if I've got it wrong, you, you know, you can look it up in the news. But six months ago, he was on the radio and he explained that uh, he believed that, that women have the right to kill their babies up to the point up to the day they're born. And he argued on, the, on a radio broadcast that, that uh, parents, if their children are disabled, ought to, after they're born, be able to just leave them in a crib and let them sit there and don't feed them and don't give them water to drink and let them die. Now, this is horrible, right? Now, it doesn't take a genius. Now, his, he, he, I don't even know what his rationale is, but he's like, this is, this is the best thing to do. Now, he's the governor of Virginia. So then he comes out with this. Last week, he believes that people that hurt animals, they should, they should go to prison. And it should be a, a felony if someone injures an animal. Now, does this make any sense whatsoever? I mean, it makes sense to me when I see that people, there were years ago, I don't know that they do this much anymore, but there used to be these beautiful white seals. And people would go with clubs and they would whack these seals in the head and they would show this in video and, the, and people would go, this is horrible. And they, they called it, people wanted to save the seals. Were you guys, ever, were you, some of you guys remember this? And I could see why they wanted to save the seals. I mean, you know, these seals are happy and they're white and they're beautiful and the people come up just hit them in the head, you know, and kill them. And, and, you know, there's something gruesome about that. But the same people that are wanting to save the seals want to kill babies. This makes no sense. I mean, if their compassion had any logic to it, then I could understand where they're coming from. But what is wrong? This has always been confusing to me, Matthew. I don't understand how they can be so compassionate and so loving in one sense. They, they, they're so compassionate about Muslims who throw homosexuals off buildings, who won't let women have driver's license, who treat like trash and like property, they're but they hate Christians. There's no logic to it whatsoever. And if when, you, when this logical disconnect happens, it should make you go, why? I don't understand it. Why would they be the defenders of Islam? This makes no sense because their minds are twisted. Why would they, why would they be the ones to make, you know, try to make it legal to kill a baby at any time, but yet they want someone not to cut a tree down? This makes no sense. We read Romans, and I won't read it all, but I'm going to read part of it here. I'm going to start off with verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. Everybody say the power of God. Now, when people read Romans 16, they say it, and it's almost like it's the power of God to only do good. But the gospel is the power of God to accomplish good, but the gospel also accomplishes some pretty horrible things. And you might go, that, that sounds weird that you're going to say. No, I'm explaining to you what God's Word teaches. For the gospel is the power of God to salvation to those that believe, but it's the power of condemnation to those who don't. Because God offers it. He says, I will save you. I will forgive you every sin. If you just repent, I'm not going to hold you accountable to it. I'm not even going to remember them. I can forgive you. And one group of people say, oh God, please forgive me of my sins. And the other group says, get away from me. I'm not a sinner. But everybody knows you're a sinner. Every person knows that they don't do what's right. Every person knows what's right. And they know they don't do it. But yet when you tell them a sinner, it makes them angry. The gospel is the power of God to all men of every race and every country on earth. Paul says that the proof of its power is seen when it is preached to those God has given ears to hear. When they hear it, it produces repentance and righteousness and is evidence of his mercy to men who were dead in their sins. And I've watched this and I've seen this in trajectory. We got together the other night and we began to tell some of the stories of the people that came to Christ in this church. And we have seen, come on, young people, you heard me tell the stories. Are there some people in this church that I told you stories about that you maybe didn't know? Yeah. God takes sinners and he saves them. 
And he changes them. And he gives them new eyes. And he gives them a new life. And he gives them righteousness. And the Bible says, when they hear preaching, it makes them more righteous. And that's what happened. That's what happened to Christina. That's what happened to Tim. That's what happened to Luke and Laura and Ashley and the different ones. And the Brownfields. It's what happened to everyone who came to Christ. Now, not everyone gets to see this, but I've seen it before. I've watched a Benita come into the church and be one person. And I've watched God change her and make her into another. That's what gospel preaching does. It changes us into something we could never do for ourselves. He says in verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So God is righteous in that when the gospel is preached, it makes men more righteous. Some men. Okay? But this is the part that Pastor uh, Cusel read for us earlier. He read this, and if you were reading it, it's like, it's like, how many of you were starting to get uncomfortable? Like, he's talking about all kinds of nasty things, things we don't really want to talk about. Come on. I, I, I am. I'm kind of squeamish. They're talking about What? Yucky, nasty. He's mentioning sins that we don't even like to talk about and we don't like to think about. But God's word says that the reason that men become so depraved is the same reason that men become righteous. It's the same power. Paul tells us the powerful gospel does to those who don't believe in verse 18. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So he's saying they know what's right because it's one thing to do wrong and not know it, but it's another to do wrong and to know you're doing wrong. And they know. It's not like they're ignorant that there's a God. It's not like they're ignorant that they shouldn't lie and cheat and steal and kill and covet and commit adultery. They absolutely know they shouldn't do it. But the more they hear about it and the more they see the truth of it and the more it registers in their mind, it doesn't make them more righteous. It actually makes them more ungodly. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all who hold ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. It's pretty plain. Why? God showed them the truth, but what do they do with the truth? They don't want to see it. They, hide, they, they, they want to put their hand up. What did they do to Stephen when Stephen was preaching the truth to them, Jeff? They ran upon them and they put their fingers in their ears because they could not deal with it. For some people, it causes them to repentance, and the others, it will make them want to kill you. That's what it did to Jesus. Some, they laid down palm branches, and, and some, they laid down their coats, and they worshipped him, and they cried, Hosanna. But the others started picking up rocks, and the others wanted to tear him apart with their teeth. That is the power of the gospel. And so if your life is not filled with people who hate you and people who love you, then you're probably less like Jesus than you should be. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Everybody say, we see him in creation. It says clearly see. Not just they kind of see, but they clearly see, even if the gospel isn't preached. When they stand on a mountaintop, when they look at a babbling brook, when they look at the plumage on a, a, a golden finch, what they see tells them about God and they hate God for it because God is reminding them. Think of it like this. How many of you know someone that's always reminding you of how you fall short? How many like that? Not too many. How many of you want to sign up to be around them every time? No. They're always just picking you apart and they're, you know, that's what it feels like to them. Rather than seeing the light of what needs to happen in their life and becoming more righteous, they become more ungodly. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Everybody say without excuse. Without excuse. This is when things get real bad. When, when, people are, when people do wrong, they know they do wrong, and they don't have an excuse. Okay? How many have seen this? You know, your kids always go, well, the reason I punched Johnny in the face is because Johnny punched me. Right? And that's bad. But you get a spanking and Johnny gets a spanking. But what happens when you punch Johnny in the face but Johnny didn't do anything to you? Johnny didn't say anything to you. You were just being bad. 
And so here they are, they're being bad, they know what's wrong, and they have no excuse for continuing to do it. And what it does, and what I've seen in kids, is generally when you discipline someone like that, they get angry. They get more angry. Why? Because they know they're guilty, and they have no excuse. The beauty of creation that speaks of the glory of God, that testify of His majesty to you and to me, God's elect people, the sermons that men hear every day, they answer every excuse that men can offer. And on the judgment day, men will stand before God without excuse. They will stand and they will say, how do we know? He go, I showed you in creation. How did you know? Because they preached it from the Word. How did you know? Because Steve Foisey came and told you that Christ would save you. How do you know? I heard a preacher preach something one time I never could get out of my mind. That when people go to hell, they will do it. They will have to walk across the blood of Jesus Christ to get there. They will have to walk over you and me to get there. But it will be a testimony about the ungodliness of the sinful heart that even though it sees it clearly, even though it hangs on a cross right next to Jesus, even though it hears the perfect words and sees Jesus die the perfect death, they look at Him, they snarl at Him, and they revile Him. And what do we do who know Him? We call out and we say, Lord, please remember me. That's the only difference. The difference is, is that one righteousness is revealed in us because righteousness comes when we hear the preaching of the word and the other it proves that it isn't coming. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image make like a corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They don't do that much in society today. In one sense, no one is making uh, a golden cow, right? No one is making an eagle and worshiping it today. But what do men worship but themselves? The creation. They worship man himself. Wherefore God gave them up to the uncleanness through the lusts of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, if you notice, Pastor Mark doesn't talk a lot about this kind of stuff, but as, meant, as often as the Bible does, I'm going to. Did you ever wonder why the people that live in this world that you know they know you and see you, yet they seem to be totally blind? The answer is, is because they are. That's why they seem to be blind. Paul just told them that these people will worship the creation more than the creator. The religion of much of the world lives by around you, although they certainly won't call it a religion because, of course, they're lying, is called humanism. Now, I used to hear about humanism in my church growing up all the time, but no one talks about humanism anymore. Humanism puts man at the center of his worship environmentalism is at the heart of their false creation worshiping religion radical vegetarianism comes from this strange faith as well there's a strange logic to what they build their lives on they hug trees and worship nature they work to save whales and spotted owls at the same time they work to make abortion on demand available everywhere and at any stage of pregnancy all life is sacred but human life this is evidence of how rejecting the truth of God's word twists their minds because we are made in the image of God. Homosexuality is a further evidence of it. What is obviously not natural, what cannot be reason to be good and wise, what cannot produce fruit and cannot produce a future at all is held up and said to be as good or better than God's plan for marriage. And yet, as you will see, not only do they do these unthinkable things, but they're proud of them. Does that sound like any, does it sound like any place you know? Not only do they do them, they're proud of them. What's the gay movement called? Gay? I mean, isn't that funny? They, we don't call them that. They call themselves that. Gay pride. That's what God said they would be doing. Not only would they do it, but they're proud of it. They take pleasure in them to do that. Now, just for clarification here, you may have had struggle with even a thought like this. You may even go, is this, you know, make me horrible or am I worse off than the guy that's running around with girls or the guy that's a thief or a guy that's a drug addict? What makes it, it makes it unnatural. 
And there are many fruit in the world of ungodliness and unnaturalness that's all around us. Now, you can come to Christ and be and have those had those desires yourself. You might go, I can't believe Pastor Mark's even saying that. Well, it's the truth. Paul said such were some of you. He lists a list that's long. It's longer than this. And he said, that's what you were. But God has the ability to change you, to make you more like him. To have been born and have the desires that are ungodly, that comes from sin and from God's curse and judgment on this earth, doesn't make you different than anybody. People that come to Christ have all sorts of sins in their lives. And what we do, what turning to God is, is saying that those sins that beset us, we don't want to do them anymore. And we want God's help to stop them. And I think some Christians actually think that somehow that these are worse than their own sins. And they, they look at them and they get irritated with them and they hate them. God hasn't called us to hate people. He hasn't called us to hate their sins worse than our own. But they're so proud and blind in their haughtiness that they boldly high, hold high a rainbow, the symbol of God's promise not to destroy the world. I think it's one of the most ironic things in the world. Their symbol is a promise of God from the Bible, and they are called pride. And God said they'd be proud. I think it's so ironic. They've named their movement aptly. Amen. Romans explains that men think this way because God allows them to completely turn away from him. Verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections for even their women did change their natural use into that which is not, which is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of women burned in their desire one toward another, messed men with men working things which are unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error. You may have wondered how this can be, but we can have the answer here. You may have wondered how it can be that here in America, where the gospel is preached everywhere, where it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. I've been all around the world multiple times, and you won't find anything more incredible and beautiful than the Rocky Mountains and the Grand Canyon and the beautiful mountains and beaches of Hawaii or Florida. You won't find things like this else in the world. You will find little pockets, but America may be the most beautiful place on earth. But in a place that's so beautiful and filled with so many Christians, don't you wonder why we also are the heart of Hollywood and the pornography industry and every filth and ungodly thing? Why is it? Why is it so good and so wonderful and so horrible at the same time? Because God said it would be. That's why. It's not because the end of the world is coming. It's not because they're going to win. They're not going to win. They will be defeated. They are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. God will bring an end to the ungodly in their time, but the righteous will flourish. This is what God teaches us. God's constant speaking of His glory through the marvel of creation as well as Christians preaching the gospel produces these powerful effects. They shouldn't be confusing. They should be what we expect. Verse 28, and as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, he gave them to reprobate minds to do those things which are not seemly. Those things are not convenient. Being filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. I mean, when I hear a list like that, I'm thinking if I was a kid... The last thing I'd want to do is disobey my parents because that's what the ungodly do. See, sometimes I think we used to get it wrong and we used to tell our kids they were ungodly because they did these things. And what we should be telling them is you're not ungodly, so why do you do those things? That's what James says. He goes, he goes here's your mouth. You've been given it to bless God, but what do you do with it? Here you bless God and you curse men. And he says, these things ought not be so. He didn't say, you vile bunch of nasty people. No wonder you are a big fountain of ungodliness. No, he said, it shouldn't be like that. But yet we get a list and we hate all these things. But he puts in here, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection. Without natural affection, homosexuality is put right in the same list of children that don't obey their parents. Implacable, unmerciful. How many want to be called unmerciful? I don't. 
who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do them, but they take pleasure in them that do them. Doesn't this describe the proud world around us that does not serve God? Their faithfulness, their utter debauchery, their just lack of shame, their pride, it's further proof of the power of the gospel. You know, people, and I've said this and I'll say this over and over again, if you have children that are proud and haughty and who are punks in their pride, it's ugly. And you know what it is? It is not seeing God. They find themselves, I mean, you cannot be proud if you know who God is. Because he can squash you in 20, you know, seconds or less, two millimeters of a second or not even a second. In no time, because he's outside of time, right? He's big, he's grand, he's great, he's strong, you're weak. Proud people and haughty people, Christians, we should not be those kind of people. We should be the humblest people on earth because what should we be doing every week? We should be beholding our great God. We should be beholding what he does in our lives and how sinful we are and how he's not and how he doesn't hurt us and that he's merciful to us. This should cause us to be humble, not proud. That's why I hate it when we get proud and we look at the world and and we mock and we look at them as if somehow we would be any different. We have no right to be proud. We have no right to look at them and say, I'm glad I'm not like them. They ought to be like me. What's wrong with them? I'm telling you, if that's coming out of your mouth and out of the mouth of your children, you should hate it. If it's coming out of your mouth, you should stop it. Because the words that come in David's mind next, after he says, when I consider the heavens, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. Do you guys know what his next question is? What is man? See, that's what creation does, Jonathan. Creation makes us go, what am I? We just watched a documentary on the Hubble spacecraft. And the Hubble spacecraft went out and it's taking pictures of these nebula and exploding stars and these galaxies. And it's tremendous. And some of them go, that was a big waste of money. It might have been. But when every picture I see, you know what I say, Luke? Oh, Look how God, like, like they, this is like 47 billion light years away. And, and man has taken dominion over the elements of the earth and flown into space and taken pictures of it to come back and go, you know what's out there? It's beautiful out there too. It's amazing out there too. It's glorious out there. It's infinite like our God. It's bigger than they can imagine. It's incredible. It's overwhelming. It's vast. Like who? Like God. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Yes, God is great. His glory is above above the heavens. But why does he care about me? And that's a good question. David is asking right in the middle of a song. Why does he care about me? You see, this question, Steve, it only comes from a humble heart. Hearts filled with pride expect God to pay them some attention. That's what we want to do. We want to be the center of it. If you have a desire to be the center of attention, if you walk over your brothers and your sisters, if you put yourself forward, if you're always wondering why you don't get the special place or the whatever, if you're wondering that, you're wondering it because you think you deserve it. Why don't I get that? Why don't I get that kind of respect? Why don't people treat me that way? Humility that comes from knowing the greatness of God asks, why me? That's why we sing in that song. So why was I made to hear thy voice and to enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and would rather starve than why me? And the answer is because he loves you. Because he's merciful to you. Because he's given you ears to hear. He's given you a heart. And without God doing that, there would be no hope for you. God resists the proud, it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 5 and 6. But he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. Verse 5, for thou made him little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. 
Thou made him have dominion over the works of thy hands and put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. Not only did God make us, he crowned us with glory and honor and gave us dominion over what he has created on the earth. Wow. That's amazing. God made the world for what? What was every living thing given? Who was it given to? It was given to man. It was given to you and to me. Do you look at this world like it's a gift God gave you? I hope you don't let her. I hope you don't trash it up. I hope your property isn't the pigsty of the neighborhood. Because God hasn't made it for us to trash while we get things done. He gave it to us. And the very first thing we're supposed to do is to take dominion over it. And to dress it and to make it and to keep it nice. I tell my children, if you, want to, if you want your parents to know you're thankful, then just take care of the things that they give you. I mean, how do you feel when they throw it in the yard and when they break it and when they trash it and you just go, they don't care? Because they don't. That's why you think it. Because they don't. And when we do the same as grown-ups, we say the same thing. We don't care. Just, he'll just give us more stuff. That's being unthankful. That's what we read today in our Old Testament reading when we read the creation story from Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing upon the earth. So God created man in his image and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them and he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air. You know, man messed up so soon that we don't even know what it is that he was supposed to do. Take dominion over the fish of the sea. What on earth could that possibly mean? He wasn't supposed to eat them. What was he supposed to do? I don't know. Take dominion over the fowl of the air? For what? I don't know. He wasn't supposed to, you know, train him to catch other animals like that's what we did. We take dominion over a hawk, you know, and goes and catches more animals and kills them for us. What was he supposed to do? I don't know. What is it that God could do? I don't know. But what he was given dominion over to do, he didn't do it. Instead, what he did is he found the one thing that he liked to do that he wasn't supposed to do, and that's what he do. And that's what ties the two things together so closely, creation and dominion. All that God has made here on earth and who and what he made it for. God's creation says a lot about God, but it also says a lot about man. Man has been set apart, set above God's earthly creation. God has given him dominion over it. It says a lot about what we made for and what every else God made on earth was for too. How many of you look at the earth like something God made for you? And as we come to the subject of dominion, it's a very important now, so we'll have to next week. We'll more time and we'll close today, okay? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who have set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of my fingers, the moon and stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? Thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and him in honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the word of thy hand, and put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, is thy name in all the earth. Let us pray. Lord, we hear your word. We hear about creation. And we understand what it, Lord, was to take dominion over the earth and to subdue it. Lord, honestly, I don't even know what that means. Lord, I do know enough to know that your word says this world is ours. That you gave it to us. And I do know that we gave it away. But I know you came to be Lord and King of the earth, to be the second Adam. And you came to take it back. 
Lord, I don't know if the church is doing what she is supposed to do. I don't know if we even understand it. I pray that you would make us wise. Lord, that we would love you, that we would see you in creation and we would understand what you're doing in the world. Your word is doing and accomplishing exactly what you said it would. May we not wonder and, and, and turn our heads and squint our eyes in confusion as if we should not expect the dichotomy of evil and goodness to be all around us, O oh Lord. It is what your word said would be. May we see it for what it is. And even when we see the evil of men, may we rejoice at the goodness of our God. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.